This is episode 200 of That Shakespeare Life. The video version of today's show, including portraits of old Tom Parr and other visual aspects not available in the audio of our show, can be found inside the digital streaming app for That Shakespeare Life. Find the app at castycash.com slash member. Hi, I'm Alexander Sobronsky, actor, musician, composer, and another great method for studying the life of William Shakespeare includes listening to this. It's That Shakespeare Life with my friend Cassidy Cash. After managing to reach adulthood, for old Tom, a life that kept him physically fit in a village that was isolated from the spread of disease was the key, I think, to his advancing years. Welcome to That Shakespeare Life with Cassidy Cash. Cassidy believes that if you desire to successfully learn or perform Shakespeare's plays, then understanding the real life and history of William Shakespeare himself is a must. That Shakespeare Life is the podcast that helps you go beyond the curtain of some of Shakespeare's most iconic works and explore the world of early modern England as Shakespeare would have lived it, learning from the writers, historians, and performers who know it best. And now, here's Cassidy. Born in the late 1480s and dying an astonishing 152 years later in 1635, old Tom Parr is famous for living longer than any man in England before or since his lifetime. Overlapping Shakespeare's lifetime entirely, being born before the Bard and living more than 20 years after the Bard's death, old Tom Parr was born in Alderbury, England, and he lived in Shropshire, where still today there is a cottage dedicated to old Tom Parr that you can visit, along with a museum that preserves old Tom's memory and his extraordinary long life. His longevity has been attributed to a unique diet and specifically enjoying what one 16th century physician called a, quote, carefree life. To put the length of his life into perspective, old Tom Parr would have lived through both the Battle of Bosworth and Shakespeare's retelling of that battle on the early modern stage over a hundred years later. A portrait of old Tom Parr hangs in the Shrewsbury Museum and Art Gallery, and one of the curators there, Emma Kate Lanyon, joins us today to share the history of this portrait, as well as details into the surprising life and death of the longest living man from Shakespeare's lifetime, the real old Tom Parr. Emma Kate Lanyon opened her first museum at just nine years old in her bedroom cupboard and has loved being a curator ever since. Emma Kate has worked in museums in Shropshire and the Welsh borders for over 25 years. During her time with Shropshire Museums, Emma Kate has worked with a fascinating and diverse collection to bring alive the stories that make Shropshire so special. While working as a museum curator, Emma Kate has traveled into Roman hordes excavations deep into attic storage to rescue trunks of Victorian costumes and even out on the road driving a seven and a half ton mobile museum. Emma Kate Lanyon was the lead curator for the new Shrewsbury Museum and Art Gallery, which opened in 2014. This museum move included the reinterpretation of the portrait of old Tom Parr, which Emma Kate joins us to discuss today. Find out more about Emma Kate and the Shrewsbury Museums and Collections at the link provided in the show notes. Hello, Emma Kate. Welcome to the show. Hi, it's lovely to meet you. What is the average life expectancy for men in the mid-16th century? 
Well, the first calculations on an average life expectancy were made by John Grant, who was a London haberdasher in the early 1660s. And he had hoped that by analysing death rates that he could identify potential outbreaks of plague quickly, and that would help towns to take the necessary measures um, to prevent uh, the infection spreading. Now, today, historians and statisticians throw around a sort of average life expectancy. And the one that they quote for the 16th century is around 35 years. But that figure is quite confusing because it doesn't mean that people were dropping dead when they reached 35. It means that the vast majority of deaths were occurring in infancy and childhood. At about this time, about 14 percent of children were dying in their very first year. Um, diseases like dysentery, scarlet fever, whooping cough and smallpox were killing about 30% of children in England before they could even reach 15. Children also worked and played unsupervised, so accidents were likely to happen. Inquest records for this period suggest that at home, falling into a well or drowning in a bathtub was a common accident for kids aged around five. Also, other causes were inexperienced siblings looking after their younger brothers and sisters, and that could lead to a baby being dropped on its head or a child being underfed. From around eight years old, children were often working away from home on local farms or in as apprenticeship, on an apprenticeship learning a trade. Again, inquest records show that children were at a great risk when they were at work. You might be trampled by horses while you were ploughing. Or if you were an apprentice, you faced risks from things such as fire, chemicals and machinery. All of these things significantly reduced the average life expectancy for people in this period. But if you could avoid dying in your early years, you were quite likely to make it to 60, or you might even reach the grand old age of 80. City life posed a greatest risk to people of all ages, as disease would spread quite quickly through densely populated houses and streets. And this was, of course, compounded by poor sanitation during the period. An increase of trade and commerce with the wider world was also bringing new diseases into city ports. In fact, it was a regular outbreak of plague in London that caused James I um, to encourage his newly formed king's men to go out and tour the provinces. And one of the places that they actually chose to come to was Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury was an up-and-coming place that was growing quickly at this time, and the town's merchants controlled the trade of goods from Wales, primarily wool, but they were also trading in cattle. The inhabitants of Shrewsbury loved theatre and public entertainments, and they had a somewhat lax uh, approach to banning it during the Commonwealth period. Booth Hall, which was one of the main venues, actually stands on the site where the museum is today. It was located in the town square alongside the town's other main buildings, like a grand new wool market that was built in 1596. Booth Hall boasted a playing space of about 65 by 25 feet. Here in 1603, William Shakespeare would have performed. He may even have included Henry IV in his troops' repertoire which of course features the Battle of Shrewsbury. And it's possible that Tom Parr might have heard about these fancy goings on in the county town. According to old Tom, the secret of long life was to keep your head cool by temperance, your feet warm by exercise, to rise early, go soon to bed, and if you wanted to grow fat, keep your eyes open and your mouth shut. 
I think his wise words are something that we could still follow today. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) After managing to reach adulthood, for old Tom, a life that kept him physically fit in a village that was isolated from the spread of disease was the key, I think, to his advancing years. So how old was old Tom Parr by the time Shakespeare was writing plays in London? Let's pinpoint around the time Shakespeare was writing Romeo and Juliet. So let's say the 1590s. How, how old was Tom Parr by this time? Well, old Tom was claiming to be over 100 years old by this period. Um, his claim was based on hearsay, though, because there were no parish records in this period. The recording of baptisms didn't really begin until 1538. So if old Tom was born before this date, there would have been no proof of the year of his birth. Of course, record keeping is not always comprehensive and correct. So some births would have been omitted, names may have been entered incorrectly, and mistakes would have been made. If old Tom was reasonably old, let's say he was 70 years, it's possible there was no one alive from his generation left in the village that could support or dispute his claims. There was an Elizabethan chronicler from the town of Shrewsbury that reported that in 1576, there was a great flood in Shrewsbury that did a huge amount of damage. This was followed by an outbreak of plague in the town. And plague also came to Oswestry, a town just to the north of Shrewsbury in 1585. There were several other outbreaks during that period. This chronicler summed up the situation in a verse which reads, he which had no mischance in 85 and in 86 doth remain alive, he being in 187 unhurt and unslain, may be living until the year 89, and he then may speak of a joyful time. In short, this all suggests that the late 16th century was taking its toll on the population of Shropshire. Many of Parr's contemporaries would just not have been around to remember him in his youth. Old Parr's own memory seems to suggest that his recollections of the late 15th century in Shropshire were somewhat hazy, if not non-existent. In 1689, the local antiquary, W.J. Thomas, started making a systematic search through the local records. He was trying to verify Old Tom's account, but he couldn't find anything. It's been suggested that Old Tom might have confused his birth date with that of his grandfather, or even Sir Thomas Parr, who was born in 1483. Sir Thomas was the father of Catherine Parr and the last wife of Henry VIII. In short, Old Tom was probably old rather than very, very, very old. Many other centenarians were noted over the years, but in many cases they represent administrative errors in what was a semi-illiterate society rather than some biological miracle of their age. There are contemporaries of Old Tom who include Catherine Fitzgerald. She came to be 140 when she died in 1604. Catherine was an Irish noblewoman, and English writers, including Walter Raleigh, helped to promote her story. His publication popularised the name The Old Countess of Desmond that was used as a nickname for her. Recent research into Catherine suggests that she probably was at least 90 when she died. Another example is Henry Jenkins. He died in 1670, claiming to be 169. He lived in North Yorkshire and claimed to have worked as a butler at Hornby Castle before he later took up a career as a fisherman and sadly ended his life begging for arms. Court records show that in 1667, Jenkins stated on oath that he was aged 157 or thereabouts. 
When the judge asked him if there were any notable battles that he remembered, he mentioned Flodden Field, which took place in 1513, and he claimed to the crowds that he had carried arrows to the English archers during the battle. Although his birth date isn't documented, the date of Jenkins's death is known to within a few days, as his burial was recorded in the parish registers. Here they describe him as a very aged and poor man. So for Henry, his claims of old age probably offered him some level of local celebrity and possibly public charity and support in his old age. These claims continue right up until the 18th century, when remarkable old age was still seen in records, both in Shropshire and further afield. William Wakeley, who was baptised in 1590 in the Shropshire town of Shifnal, claimed to be 124 when he was buried in Staffordshire. And another Schiffnell person, Mary Yates, was buried in 1776, claiming to be 127. She said that she had walked to London as a teenager just after the Great Fire in 1666 and then went on to marry her third husband at the age of 92. Again, all these claims to great age were probably due to mistaken identity. People mistook records that they saw bearing the same name as them as relating to themselves. So was old. Tom Parr, this similar celebrity because of his old age, would Shakespeare have known about him in London, for example? I don't think he would have known of him in London until he actually arrived in the town. Tom was just the son of a farmer and he went into domestic service as a young man before he allegedly joined the army. So he wasn't a well-known person within Shropshire, let alone further afield. He returned home to his father's farm after his death and took on the running of the Little East Farm, close to the Welsh border in Shropshire. However, when he was here, Thomas Howard, the fourth Earl of Arundel, came to Shropshire to visit his estates in 1635. By this time, Parr was unsteady on his feet, blind and toothless, so would have looked very old, and was introduced to Thomas Howard as having this incredible age. Howard was a prominent English courtier, both during the reigns of Charles and his father James. He was also a passionate collector and possessed over 700 paintings, along with a substantial collection of sculptures, books, works, prints and jewellery. And it seems that Howard decided to add part to his collection of curiosities. He arranged for old Tom and some of his companions to travel down to London. And it seems that the whole journey was something of a roadshow with old Tom being carried through the streets of Britain in a litter. Once Tom reached London, he became famous overnight. He was wined and dined by many important people. His portrait was painted by a number of leading artists, including Peter Paul Rubens and Anthony Van Dyke. Both Rubens and Van Dyke's portraits, however, show a slightly unsure-looking elderly man. He's framed by his wavy hair and his substantial beard. The portrait, I think, gives you a sense of a man who looks lost in the hubbub of a courtly world that was strange and unknown to him. When I look at these paintings, it makes me wonder that his time in London was probably less of an exciting adventure and may actually have been a confusing trial of endurance for what may have been a very elderly and frail man. William Harvey, a 16th century English physician, wrote about the longevity of old Tom Parr, attributing his length of years to a unique diet. Emma Kate, what was old Tom Parr's diet? Did he eat in a weird way? Well, back home in Shropshire, Parr lived a very simple rural life. 
He claimed that his diet consisted of mainly mouldy green cheese, onions and coarse bread. And he accompanied this with sour whey and mild ale. He did say that on special occasions like Christmas, he treated himself to a glass of cider. I mean, this diet was probably pretty normal for a farm labourer in this period. Old Tom and his family would just have eaten what they could produce on their own farm. And this would have been supplemented by anything that they could buy with money made from selling their produce at market. Bread, porridge, stewed vegetables and a little meat would have been pretty typical for the period. Did old Tom Parr ever get married? Well, old Tom has got something of a reputation with the ladies. Parr claimed to be 80 years old when he first got married to James Taylor. And the two of them had two children, unfortunately, both of whom died in infancy. 20 years later, old Tom is recorded to have had an affair with Catherine Milton and to father her child. This act of adultery led to him appearing in the local church, wrapped in a rather fantastically named sheet of bastardry. This shares the same connotations as wearing sackcloth and ashes. It would have been made to be cold, uncomfortable and embarrassing. This public act of penance was probably designed to shame the 101-year-old man. After his wife died, he did marry again, this time to a widow named Jane Lloyd. By this time, he was claiming to be 110. James reported that Parr was still very active in the bedroom right up until the last 12 years of his life. By this time, old Tom's decreasing virility meant that he had retired from farm work and he was no longer able to perform physical tasks like threshing corn. Old Tom Parr outlived Shakespeare by almost 20 years, and he did have this great fanfare when he was brought to London at the age of, I I read it was 152, but I defer to your expertise. Emma Kate, explain for us, how did Old Tom Parr come to the attention of the then King Charles I? Well, after being brought to London by Thomas Howard and staying at Howard's home, the two men attended the royal court. It was here that Tom was presented to Charles I and was a focus of great interest with both the king and the court. The king is said to have asked old Tom, you have lived longer than any other man. What have you done more than any other man? To this, Parr is said to have replied, sire, I did penance when I was 100 years old referring to his adultery charge. Old Tom remained in London afterwards and met a great number of many important people in society. However, suddenly he just dropped dead six weeks after his arrival in London. Just suddenly? They had no idea. What did he die of? It seems likely that old Tom died just of too much fine living. I think the exertion of travelling to London, followed by his packed social calendar of events and parties and all this rich new food, must have just taken a toll on the old man. So after his death, assuming people were really interested in how did this man manage to live this long, an official autopsy was performed on his body, presumably of the medical community was just interested in this unbelievable age he had achieved. Emma Kate, what did the doctor find upon physical examination of old Tom Parr after his death? Well, the king was really curious to find out what could have killed a man of such great age. So he instructed his physician, Dr. William Harvey, to dissect Thomas Parr's corpse. William Harvey was an eminent physician, and he had been the first person to describe the blood circulatory system in detail. He had been appointed 
the king's physician extraordinary for King James I. And Harvey also accompanied King Charles wherever he went as his physician in ordinary. This means he was the king's everyday medical practitioner. After the autopsy, Harvey published a report of his findings. However, this document doesn't really validate Parr's age. He noted that the man was in generally good health. And this was probably the result of his physical life that he had led up to this point. Harvey wrote, all the internal parts, in a word, appear so healthy that had nothing happened to interfere with this old man's habits of life, he might have escaped paying the debt due to nature a little time longer. A modern look at the report suggests that it is possible that old Parr actually died of pneumonia. He was complaining of a shortness of breath and also he was found to have blood on his lungs. So it's possible that actually it was pneumonia that killed him. Would that have been just due to the general you know, polluted nature of the city of London and him not being used to it, you think? Well, I think it was probably a mix of things. I mean, I think the probably the long journey, he might have got chills on his way to London. And then I think just the sort of physical strain of sort of being up and about and being expected to entertain the court probably just exhausted him. Now, you mentioned that a couple of famous portraitists painted the picture of old Tom Parr, and we have a couple of visual representations of him. But I know there is one portrait, at least, of old Tom Parr at the Shrewsbury Museum and Art Gallery. So tell us about this portrait. Where did the one at the museum come from? Well, the one that hangs in the museum came from Loughton Park, which is a magnificent 17th century country mansion in Alberbury in Shropshire. Uh, This house is the home of the Leighton family, whose estate included the village of Winnington, which is where old Tom was born and where he lived his life. It shows old Tom. It sat in a brown tunic with a white collar and a cap. But he looks hunched and his eyes are closed and his mouth is slightly open. And around him is an inscription giving a short biography of him. The painting is in the style of William Dobson, who was a popular portrait painter at the time of Parr's visit to London. Dobson's portrait is likely to have been painted while old Tom was visiting the city. However, the painting is unusual because when you look at it, you think old Parr might be asleep. In fact, I think it's a little bit more sinister than that. I think he's actually dead. This painting looks more like a morning portrait that shows Parr lying in repose. It could have been painted from a death mask cast from Parr's face, or it may have been from sketches done during the autopsy. It is sometimes possible by looking at portraits to work out whether they've been painted from a death mask, because there are kind of characteristic distortions that you see in the features. These are caused by the weight of the plaster on the face, which is sort of dragged down by the clay during the moulding process. This type of sagging seems to be shown in Parr's portrait. So how did the portrait arrive with the Shrewsbury Museum and Art Gallery? Did, was it donated by Parr's family or by Dobson's family? Where does where does it come from? Well, the portrait actually was purchased um, when the contents of the Leighton estate were sold at Sotheby's in 1999. And the Friends of Shrewsbury Museum actually gave us a grant towards purchasing it. This is one of only several items that we care for that relate to old Tom. In around 1910, a local historian, Edward Forrest, renovated and opened Old Parr's Cottage as a little museum. 
with a rather dubious collection of items that he claimed had belonged to him. These included a Delphware plate and an oak Bible box. The museum failed to draw a crowd, and when it finally closed its doors, Edward Forrest donated some of the items to Shrewsbury Museum. Old Parr's cottage unfortunately burnt down in 1959, but it was rebuilt in the 1980s, and it's now actually a holiday cottage. So if you fancy the health benefits of the Shropshire air, you can always come and stay at Old Parr's house, and you should really visit the museum to pay your respects. And if old Tom Parr's story is any example, going to Shropshire could be very good for your long life. <laughs> Indeed. The stories surrounding old Tom's health and long life entered into English folklore. Even his children were reputed to have lived over 100 years. In the 19th century, the story of old Parr was revived again, and it was used to market a whole range of health products. Items in the museum collection include adverts for Parr's life pills, which were allegedly made from a herbal formula mysteriously found in his last will and testament. Old Parr by this time had become a symbol of old England, where hard work, plain food and a simple rural existence was the recipe for long life and a healthy time. His name was also appropriated to emphasise the maturity of some products. In 1909, Old Tom's name was applied to a blend of Scottish whiskey, which remains popular in America today, I believe. Well, we'll definitely have to put a link to Old Tom Parr's Scotch whiskey in the show notes for today's episode. So there's a delicious reason to go visit the show notes today. Now, Emma Kate, despite Old Tom Parr being this village man who just lived this very rural life, he seems to have enjoyed a pretty prominent burial situation after he died. Where did old Tom Parr get buried? Well, old Tom Parr was actually buried at Westminster Abbey by royal decree. He had by this time developed this celebrity status and had gone from just being a farm labourer in the depths of rural Shropshire to being wined and dined by King Charles and the royal court, who were all intrigued by him. However, this celebrity status did come at a cost. Parr's visit to London really did for his health and led to not only him dying, but his corpse being studied, reported on, and then finally buried many, many miles away from his family and home. And over the years, his story has been appropriated to sell medicines and whiskey blends. So I think there are two sides to Parr's story, the celebrity, the excitement of visiting London but also remembering that he was an old man who never actually got to go home to the place that he had lived his entire life. That is incredibly sad. Is his, can you visit his burial site at Westminster still today? You can indeed. And there's a plaque there that talks about his incredible age and story. And there is actually a memorial at his village church back here in Shropshire at Winnington. So he is remembered very warmly uh, in both places. Oh, that's nice. I'm glad to know that he is. I feel bad for his family who would have probably liked to visit his grave and pay their respects. So that's kind of that's kind of sad. But I'm so glad to know that he is remembered today and that we can tell his story now. Indeed, a fascinating one it is too. So I know we would love to explore old Tom Parr's life as well as Shropshire and the Shrewsbury Museum and Art Gallery further. What are some of your favorite resources you can recommend we use to learn more? Well, what we know about old Tom Parr today is mainly due to a pamphlet that was written by the poet John Taylor in 1635. This was reprinted several times and there are copies available 
on several online library collections. ShropshireHistory.org.uk includes a fantastic interactive map of Shrewsbury in the 1630s, and it gives you a lot of research that provides a glimpse of what life was like in the Tudor town in old Tom's days. Our portrait of old Pa, some images of his cottage and the other items that we've got in the museum from his home can also be found online at shropshiremuseum.org.uk, where you can just search for the word Pa. Those are excellent resources for sure. I'm excited to dive into the interactive map. I love maps anyway, but definitely getting to see what life was like and explore the portrait of old Tom Parr. We'll link to all of these things in the show notes for today's episode. So make sure you go there to find those. Now, Emma Kate, we ask everyone this next question here at That Shakespeare Life, and that's what's the one book you would take with you on a deserted island? My friends in England tell me I'm supposed to allow you the complete works of Shakespeare and a copy of the Bible. So your choice would be in addition to those. That's going to be really hard because I've always got a huge pile of books next to my bed. I've got a problem with books. But if I was heading off to be shipwrecked, I think at the moment I might grab Extra Life, A Short History of Living Longer by Stephen Johnson. This book explores many developments made to the way we have extended our life expectancy. And it takes you on a journey through a mix of medical, sanitary and social advances that have meant that we've doubled our life expectancy in the last 100 years. So I'll read my way through that and hope there are some life-sustaining tips that are worthy of my fellow Salopian forebears. That sounds like an excellent choice for your deserted island, for sure. So what's next for you? What are you working on now that you're excited about? Oh, we're working on a new prehistory gallery for Shrewsbury Museum. Um, there's been some really exciting prehistoric finds in Shropshire over the last three years. Um, so we're working in partnership with the British Museum on that, which is great. But the brilliant thing about my job is because we're a small museum, you get to do a little bit of everything. So today I have been cataloguing Art Nouveau wall tiles. I've been identifying Roman finds for local metal detectorists. And I get to do a fantastic range of things and work with some amazing collections. Oh, that sounds fascinating. Remember, we will put links to the Shrewsbury Museum and Art Gallery in the show notes for today so you can keep up with all the fun things coming out of Shropshire. Thank you so much, Emma Kate Lanyon, for being here today and taking us through the history of old Tom Parr. It was nice to meet him and to spend some time exploring his exciting life. Thank you so much. There is a ton of extra resources packed into the show notes for today's episode, including portraits and links to all of the information we have about old Tom Parr, especially the resources that Emma Kate mentions for you to check out of the museums there in Shropshire. So make sure you go to CassidyCash.com slash episode 200. That's CassidyCash.com slash EP200 to find all of these resources. And because it is our 200th episode, and we are so excited to have reached this milestone here at That Shakespeare Life, we have a very special gift for you packed in the show notes over there as well. So make sure that you download that. Find video versions of our podcast along with documentaries, animated plays, and bonus interviews inside the digital streaming app for That Shakespeare Life at CassidyCash.com slash app. That's CassidyCash.com slash A-P-P. 
And if you're an educator or history researcher into the life of William Shakespeare, and you'd like to take our podcast into your office or classroom with complete lesson plans, printable history guides, and hands-on activity kits, then consider becoming a member of That Shakespeare Life. Members get access to our entire library of hands-on learning activities like crafts and games straight from the life of William Shakespeare. They also get members-only discounts, and the entire digital streaming app is included with your membership. Find out more and sign up today at Cassidy County com slash member. That's CassidyCash.com slash member. If you enjoy our show, be sure to leave us a comment and rating on your favorite podcast platform. And please share the show with someone you think might enjoy learning something new about Shakespeare. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. I'm Cassidy Cash, and I hope you learn something new about the Bard. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to That Shakespeare Life. As always, the best conversations happen after the episode over at CassidyCash.com. Become a part of a vibrant Shakespeare conversation by adding your voice over at the website. Until next time, remember, when you want to know William Shakespeare, you have to go behind the curtain and into That Shakespeare Life.